3: live. You're listening to the Jam Radio
4: Network. This
3: All right. This next question is for Caroline.
0: Caroline, if you take the bus 60 miles to school at 5.30 a.m. and the bus is traveling at an average of 30 miles per hour, how are you going to get to your prenatal appointment and still make it to homeroom on time?
5: Some students are tackling more than just their schoolwork, which is why more than 30% of them aren't graduating. But you can give them the boost they need to make it through by visiting boostup.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army
6: and the Ad Council.
7: Dad, remember when you asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I want to get paid. Well, right after that, you said, there's no job called getting paid.
8: Really? I said that?
7: Yeah, and that's exactly when I knew I wanted to go to college.
5: You never know which moments will be the ones they remember forever. So take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven four 4 dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov.
6: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Listen's Morning Inspirations on Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here.
1: Happy day. happy day, oh a happy day, oh, day. when Jesus.
9: Good morning.
4: Good morning. Got the program. Good morning specials on this midweek Wednesday. A holy mountain, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest who does not accept a bribe against the innocent.
3: Whoever does these things will never be shaken.
2: Crushed by Satan's manifested
4: skin, and you feel the urge within.
3: It's morning inspirations
6: on Jam Radio two point one.
4: family our neighbors Lord, our pastors our missionaries, those with four missions
3: we to to use as well Lord Lord we thank you for food and the table closing on the back
4: thank you thank you for one
3: more day. Thank you. Bless us and push us, Lord, day by day.
4: Say thank you. All my family, friends, church, family, and members, Lord. Thanks for listening. Way she Ever she told me. Thank you. Mr. show that trying to do talk to Radio family. Again, we to say thank you. i sorry in Jesus' name. Amen we back at the top of the hour. More gospel, spiritual music. And thank you for listening.
5: Hurt to expose, as we study the scriptures, a man who got tripped up in the last lap, a man whose story revealed moral and ethical faith. Now God gives us the story of moral and ethical and spiritual failure. What was it that caused this man to fail in later years? Well, I don't know all of the reasons, but I know that God has given us this story for our instruction and our warning, and hopefully at the end of our study we will, by his grace, be able to avoid the searing words of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Galatian church, You were running so well. What stopped you from obeying the truth? I invite your attention to the last chapter in the biography of this ordinary believer, Judges chapter 8. You remember from our last study, Gideon led the people in an amazing victory over the Midianites. In fact, God's power was so wonderfully displayed that 120,000 of them killed each other, and Gideon chased the remaining 15,000 and drove them off the face of the earth as God's tool of judgment on the idolatrous nation. And what happens next you would almost expect to happen, because he has been the fearless leader. And the people come with an interesting proposition, which we find Where we left off, that is verse 22. Look at it with me. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Now before we take a look at Gideon's answer, let's stop to observe the nation Israel because they're not smelling like roses either here. You notice the words, you have delivered us. The failure of Israel here is to acknowledge that God did the delivering. In fact, in Judges chapter 8, you'll not find one stitch of thanksgiving. In this entire chapter, you never read of the people stopping and saying, God, thank you for delivering us from these oppressors that brought about famine-like living. Thank you. They never said it. Reminds me of Romans chapter 1, verse 21, where it talks about the unbeliever. As it says, though they knew God, they did not acknowledge him, nor did they thank him. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the chief characteristics of the unbeliever is that they are ungratified, or I should say they do not show gratitude toward God for what God has done. This is the Israelite nation here. So instead of thanking God, they thank Gideon. At the same time now, they they tempt him with a very exciting proposition. Gideon, we want you to be our king. In fact, we want your son to be our king, and his son. What are they asking? They are asking Gideon to be the first in a dynastic rule. He will be the first king, and his family will be the first dynasty in Israel. Very flattering. And the answer he gives is the high point of his career. From here on it goes downhill, but look at it with me in verse 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you nor shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. Fantastic answer. He's right on. Because God was the king in this theocracy. The nation would be ruled by God through prophet and through judge, not a man. And so Gideon responds by saying, that would be wrong. God alone should be the king of Israel. If we could close the book here, End of chapter, end of story, end of biography. It would be wonderful. But the next verse reveals what will be a spiral downward in the life of this once great man. Look at the next verse, verse 24. Yet Gideon said to them, I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites, verse 25. And they said, we will surely give them. That is, this is the least that we can do for you. So they spread out a garment, and every one of them threw an earring there from his spoil. And the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the neckbands that were on their camel's necks. most scholars believe that this loot is valued in today's market at somewhere between 350 and $400,000. Now, when I read that verse, the first thought that I came to my mind is probably what just came to yours. Uh-oh, Gideon, like so many others, had gotten greedy. But that isn't the case. In fact, the next verse gives us the motive for him requesting this goal, verse 27. And Gideon made it into an easement and placed it in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there so that it became a snare to Gideon and to his household. The word snare means to allure and to entrap into ruin. This ephod will ruin. It will destroy Gideon's family. I have a couple of questions. First of all, why was making this ephod alluring to Gideon? And second of all, why would it destroy his family? What's so bad about that? Well, you need to understand, if we can back up for just a moment, that the ephod was very significant to Israelite worship. The ephod was fashioned something like an apron. It was part of the clothing. It was the outer garment of the high priest. The even also had a pouch in it in which were kept the Urim and the Sumim. We're never told what the Urim and the Sumim were, but these were the vehicles whereby God spoke to the high priest and through him to the people. It was the means of getting God's attention, as it were, and hearing from God. So what we have here is Gideon making an imitation ephod. And this, according to the scriptures, will destroy his life. In fact, it seems that he assumes the role that God never intended him to play, that is high priest. A counterfeit ephod, thus a counterfeit priesthood, and also, if you notice in that past verse, a counterfeit location for worship. We'll look there in just a moment, but here's where it gets interesting. Why would Gideon want to play priest and move worship to Oprah. Well, the truth is, if we can put the clues together, the priesthood during Gideon's reign as judge was corrupt, immoral. At least it was ineffective. In fact, nowhere in the entire book of Judges do you read of a judge or a, a high priest fulfilling his function. You never read in this entire book of a high priest leading the people in worship. It's absent, and it's absent, it's silence, shouts. where are they? Something's wrong. Furthermore, the tabernacle was located in Shiloh, where the place of worship was supposed to be at this point. Guess who controls Shiloh? His favorite friend, the Ephraimites. You remember those from our last study? They jumped all over Gideon's back because he didn't invite them to fight with him. In fact, in chapter 12, they got onto another tribe for the same reason, and they responded by saying, We're so upset, we're going to burn your house down. You remember that story? Well, these petty people controlled the center of worship. And the priesthood within that system were ineffective. And so perhaps Gideon reasoned in his own mind wait a second, I'm the person that God has spoken to. I'm the leader. I'm the one whom God is using to lead these people. I'll take it one more step, and I'll assume the role of high priest. It makes sense, but it won't work. In fact, Gideon here breaks three commands. Number one, Gideon was not qualified to wear the ephod. In Exodus chapter 28, God specifically says that only the Aaronic uh, descendants could wear the ephod, only the high priest, not Gideon. He has no right to assume priestly duties. Number two, the ephod was constructed with the wrong material. According to the penitentiary, the ephod was to be constructed of blue material, not gold. Perhaps the people and Gideon himself were impressed. By constructing an ephod out of this precious and rare metal. But they and we should learn that God is not impressed by beauty. He is impressed by obedience. Number three. The most significant error is this, perhaps. The ephod was in the wrong location. Gideon then instituted a rival form of priesthood, a rival form of worship, a rival location. Perhaps his motive were sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. Look back at the result in verse 27. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. The word "play the harlot always refer to spiritual failure, unfaithfulness. So God refers to Gideon's solution as spiritual adultery. He has no business making this ephod. The people have no business going to Oprah to worship. They are committing Spiritual unfaithfulness. That's what God has to say about what Gideon does. But maybe Gideon thought that God had made an exception for him. Leaders do that. They live by different rules. When will we ever learn that spiritual leaders do not have spiritual privileges? So what does God do? Look at verse 28 with me. So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads anymore. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years in the days of Gideon. That is fascinating to me. Wait a second. All of these things have happened. Where's the thunder from heaven? The bolt of lightning, immediate judgment on a man who has gone haywire with his attempts. institute a rival form of worship so well god must approve evidently gideon thought the same thing but god does not make exceptions for him nor does he for you and i even though he has used our lives in the past just because the heavens are silent when you and i sin does not mean that god is condoning the sin or that god isn't noticing Right about now would have been a good time for a bolt of lightning, and it may have jolted Gideon back, like some kid caught. Being caught sometimes is a good thing. I can remember as a 16-year-old getting my license. you remember that, some of you think, back? Some of you think way back here, 16 years old, freedom, man. Driver's license, the set of keys, and you're on, you're on. I can remember my father had, when I was 16, this huge buick Sabre, it was about 15 years old. That was when they made them really big. Didn't have an air conditioner in it, we'd roll all four windows down. One summer, the summer after I got my license, my cousins and clan arrived from Minnesota. My favorite cousin, Mark, and I decided we'd go for a ride. So I asked Dad for the keys. And Dad gave them to me with that look Dad, give sixteen-year-olds about to take a ride. And I said, you know, Dad, no problem. I'm just gonna. We're just gonna putz around the block a little bit. So he gave me the keys, and Mark and I got in. I was driving. Mark was sitting over on the passenger side. He looked at me and smiled, and I looked at him and smiled, and I just eased out of the driveway. All the families out there, you know, and I probably went five miles an hour down the road, Red Brook Road, turned right, went about a half a mile, and came to an area which emptied out onto Military Highway, which was the main drag. There the light was red. And I looked at him and he looked at me. I know this surprises you that I would ever do anything like this. With <laughs> that light turned green, I pushed that accelerator to the floor and we took off. We were having a riot and, and about that time, about 10 seconds later, we were up to about 65, 60 miles an hour and I look in my rear view mirror and I see billows of smoke coming out from underneath the car. And I'm not a mechanic, but I knew that billows of smoke should not be coming out from underneath the car. So I pulled over off of military highway, and my cousin and I knew, well, my cousin knew that I was in trouble. We called my father, and my uncle, his brother, came to pick us up. Uh, my uncle was driving, and Mark and I kind of slid into the back seat. and of course I said, you know, I have no idea why this happened. <laughs> of course, uh, I can't understand it, but uh, anyhow, something's wrong. And uh, my father looked over at my uncle, who was a little bit more of a mechanic than him, and he said, well, he said, how does, how does something like this happen? And my uncle floored it. And we shot forward. And my cousin and I Lid down in our back And I could have killed my uncle for doing that. You know, it's typical. Kids sneak around. Adult. Adult. Sneak around. God. And sometimes we don't get caught. And it doesn't seem like God's going to move. Well, what happened here in his life was he was caught, but because the thunder didn't erupt from heaven. He kept going, and what happens here in this spiral downward is several things. Let me give you the first. Gideon's rival form of worship opened the door for national idolatry. Look at verse 33. We'll skip ahead a little bit. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal their god. It's as if the... The Israelites were waiting for this old judge to die, and as soon as he dies, we're already used to worshiping something else in some other location, in some other way. That's just the first step toward idolatry, and they were ready. Baal was already in their blood. Number two, Gideon's refusal to obey Scripture opened the door to further or personal sin. And three sins are revealed. The first one we've already talked about, but let me restate it. Number one, Gideon's lifestyle directly ignored the authority of Scripture. You and I, as he did, have two authorities in our lives. One, it's either the authority of this book, God is the author. And if we place ourselves under this authority, we're going to end well. But if I refuse to submit to the authority of the Word and pull myself out, I am in need of something to be the thing that calls the shots in my life. What's the authority? I become the authority. My feelings, my reasoning, my logic, my desires become the authority. And so what happens to Gideon? He follows the way of his flesh. Number two, Gideon's lifestyle degenerates into the pursuit of sensuality. Look at verse 29. Then Jerob that's his nickname, the Baal conqueror, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. And it must have been some house because verse 30 says, Now Gideon had 70 sons who were his direct descendants, for he had many wives. He, the famous leader, you know, leaders should have more, so he had more. This was a typical Canaanite perk of power. But it was a direct violation of Deuteronomy chapter 17, which Gideon knew. You will not multiply wives, period. Is Gideon fulfilled in this sensual lifestyle? No. Look at verse 31. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. Concubine is a social euphemism for a mistress. He has perhaps 50 to 60 wives. Is he satisfied in his lifestyle? No. He's got something on the side down there in Shechem, which, by the way, is a Canaanite city. He's a Canaanite girl. He bears him a son as well. Gideon's compromise is already destroying him. I came across a parable that they say is a Russian parable. A hunter was hunting in the woods for bear, and a bear came around the corner and pinned him to the ground. And the bear said, just what are you looking for? And the hunter said, well, uh, I'm looking for a a warm fur coat. And the bear said, well, that that makes sense. Perhaps we can negotiate. I'm looking for a a full stomach. Perhaps we can come to a compromise. Thirty minutes later, the bear ambles away, and on the ground is the hunter's cap and gun. And you're left to put the piece together, which you already have. The bear got his full stomach by eating the hunter. And the hunter got his warm fur coat. Perhaps you have been running well. But maybe just recently you have stopped to talk to some bear. Maybe in the form of flirtation at the office. Maybe in the form of fudging business accounts. It may come in the form of padding your expenses. They come in the form of some subtle manipulation, some egotistical pursuit to bear, and you are in the process of compromising. Perhaps it comes in the form of a test that you must cheat to pass. I was in the office of a president of a Bible college, and we were talking, and he happened to mention to me as we talked that there was a rash of cheating that had just broken out among the student body you imagine a Christian student at a Bible college taking a, a test related to a biblical subject and cheating on it? That would be kind of like breaking into a Christian bookstore and stealing the Bible you've always wanted to have for your own. doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Neither does Gideon. My brother told me a story a couple of years ago about a fellow that he went to seminary with. This fellow was an excellent student, but my brother observed him in a Greek class cheating on a Greek exam. So after the class, he talked to him, confronted him about it, and he admitted it, that he had been cheating. In fact, he had been cheating for some time, and he confessed to him. He, on his own volition, went to the prof, confessed, got things right, but something my brother told me still didn't seem right. They went through four years of seminary together, and on graduation day, God thundered from heaven. It seemed that this guy had been living with a girl, and he had told her, an unbeliever, that he was in law school. And they had evidently had quite a fight because she decided to kick him out, and she was packing his things. She came to some of his books, and she noticed that they were strange. They weren't law books. They were theology books. And stamped inside most of them, at least from the library, was the name of the seminary he attended. He called the seminary and asked, why does so-and-so have all of these books from your school? And they looked at their records and they said, because he's a student here and he's about to graduate. My brother told me that two of the professors went out to that apartment, they met with her, and then they waited for him to return home, unsuspecting. Finally, The tragedy is that God sometimes takes disaster to stop us, and I wish that something had happened here, but God allows Gideon to self destruct in his pursuit. I want to list the third thing that happens in Gideon's spiral downward. Number three, Gideon's lifestyle develops into the practice and pride of a king. Notice verse 31, which is a very short phrase, but yet it packs a punch. And his concubine... Who was in Shechem also bore him a son And he named him Abimelech Now the word named him Could be rendered appointed him This is totally different than a little baby who's born And the father picked out a name that he would like to see his son have It was typical in ancient day for the father To appoint a nickname for his grown son In fact Gideon you remember was nicknamed by his father Jerob Baal That means my son is the Baal fighter. Well, Gideon gives his grown son a nickname, Abimelech. It means my father is a king. You remember verse 23? The people said, Gideon, rule over us. And he said, no, I will not be your king. God is your king. And 40 years later, we read that he has developed because of his sensual lifestyle, his compromise, now he comes to the point where he is feeling like, he is acting like, he has a king's harem, and now he has a son. And he has given him a nickname. And every time they call this son's name, it is a reference to the fact that Abimelech's father, everyone will lose. This will become the last period in the book of Judges where there is peace the cycle stops here you never read again of the nation Israel worshiping as a unit the future judges will be tainted themselves with sin a future one that you all know Samson will follow soon after Gideon it seems that Gideon has lowered the standard for good In the next chapter of the book of Judges, it will literally drip with the blood of his 70 sons who will be killed by Abimelech. The heavens did thunder. That did collect. Let me summarize this biography two ways quickly. Number one, if I could summarize the life of our study, our five-fold study in the life of Gideon, I think I can whittle it down to two simple phrases. Number one. Faithlessness in the past may become faithfulness in the present. No matter how insignificant you may consider yourself, if you submit to the authority of God, God can use you. He used this timid farmer from Oprah and made him a judge, made him a warrior, made him the bail fighter. There is no telling what he can do with you and me if we submit to him. Gideon's faithlessness in the past became faithfulness in the present. But number two, faithfulness in the present may become failure in the future. That's how Gideon's story ended. He was a great leader. A book in my library that is nearly 150 years old, composed of writings by many different men. Let me quote the words of this one commentator who lived nearly two centuries ago. God has a way, or two ways, of trying men. One in the furnace of affliction and the other in the refining pot of prosperity. And this is the much harder trial of the two. Affliction tends to humble and soften and subdue, but in prosperity, self-esteem, self-reliance, self-satisfaction, self-will, pride, and security are prone to spring up with a rank luxuriance. The scriptures teach us here the danger of prosperity and the inability, notice this carefully, the inability of the human heart to drink a full cup of success without becoming intoxicated by success. This is the story of Gideon as you see him intoxicated by his own prosperity, his own success, his own prominence, his own status. You see him staggering and stumbling over the finish line. We echo the words of the Apostle Paul who said, I have finished my race. I've run it well. I've finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. What is he talking about? Earning heaven? No. He's talking about a unique reward given those who finish the race,
2: who end
5: well, who submit to the authority of God, even in the last lap. If God should so choose to write today the last few words of your life and close the book on the biography of your life, would you have ended well? If his hand were to put down the divine pen that was recording the deeds, the acts, the thoughts, the passion, the purpose of your life, would it end well? I'm not talking about perfect people. I'm talking about progressing people who have a passion to follow God. May we learn from this man never to step out of the race, keep running, to keep following, to keep the that we may end well. Perhaps I have been speaking to someone who needs to submit today. The Spirit of God has made it very clear to his authority to allow him to close the present chapter in your life called unfaithfulness and begin a new chapter called faithfulness. Perhaps, you need to admit to yourself and to God that your biography is headed toward the wrong conclusion. You allow Christ to do surgery in your heart now. However the Spirit of God has pointed his finger, perhaps you're running and you have needed encouragement. May this passage be that. But to all of us a challenge, never stop the race by his grace
4: went well. You're listening
3: to the Jam Radio Network with Minister
4: Kennedy Jenkins.
6: are listening to morning inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1
8: chapter 4 verses 31 and 32 tell us let all bitterness wrath anger clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tenderhearted forgiving one another just as god in christ also forgave you there's no way we can defeat our enemy as long as we use his weapons against our brothers and sisters in christ As Paul warned us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, these things are not of God. The weapons he has given us to defeat these things include kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Paul tells us in Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And in verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those commands are intended for us today, every bit as much as they were intended for the Christians in Rome. Jesus has given you the spirit of peace, love, and a sound mind. It is in your power to live peaceably. Determine today,
9: Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might
6: be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration.
10: Today, we're taking a close look at one of God's greatest gifts, the gift of smell. This is the Creation Moments Minute. The ability to smell is one gift we often take for granted. That's probably because we usually identify things more quickly with one of our other senses. At the same time, Thanksgiving dinner would not be the same without the smell. Some of the most unlikely creatures have a sense of smell. Believe it or not, even fungi have a sense of smell. Worms have organs on their heads to sense odor. Ticks carry their scent-detecting organs on their feet. This arrangement would not work for us. Mollusks smell through their gills. The salmon uses smell to find the same brook in which he was spawned. Lizards and snakes use their tongues to detect scents. More about the gift of smell tomorrow on the Creation Moments Minute.
6: I'm Darren Marlar. This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
11: tonight Jesus told me so
3: This is Anne Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living All around us are broken homes broken heart, broken
0: hope. But God never intended us to be broken. He didn't just create us, plop us down on planet Earth and say, happy birthday, now you can get your way through life. God as our creator has specific directions for our lives. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with a whole heart. If we live according to his directions, our lives work. We're blessed and we experience life the way it was meant to be lived. If we ignore a rejected direction, we do so to our own detriment and experience much less than he intended. His directions form a pattern that prevents breakage of our lives to help mend the brokenness already present. Listen to him. Trust in his words and follow his direction. Your life will work. This is Ann Graham
6: Lodge. What has God wrought? That question from the Bible, Numbers 23-23 was the first official message tapped on the first telegraph in May 1844. Long-distance communication has changed dramatically since dots, dashes, and Bible phrases. I don't know that anyone recorded the first text message or the first Twitter tweet, but something tells me neither had much to do with God, and that's too bad, because he wrought them as well. God is the ultimate communicator. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge. In our hurry-up world of cell phones and instant messages, remember the many miracles, including technology, that God has wrought. In all the ways we communicate, it's good to keep that message in mind in the high calling of our daily work.
0: For more information, visit ourdailywork.org.
7: The Trinidad and Tobago Institute for Women in Leadership is one of the organizations that is boosting the participation of women in politics in the Caribbean. Its partnership with the local government has been contributing to an increase in the number of women elected to government councils. Carrie Ince, who manages the Networks Women's Leadership in Local Government Project, was recently at UN headquarters in New York. She highlighted the goals of the project. The concept of the program,
0: obviously, is to reach out to young women who probably are already as a political actor on some level to educate them and raise their awareness on what it means to be gender sensitive. So we will train you to be a candidate.
7: You run, you
0: win, and then the question also is what
7: happens after? What type of leader will you be when you're in that position? It explained what it means to be gender sensitive at the local government level. Being gender sensitive is ensuring that policies and practices that are put in place are gender
0: neutral. what does that mean? All of the councils to ensure that whatever is being done with the public funds are gender neutral, meaning all genders
7: can benefit. She added that the project which received the grant from the UN Women's Fund for Gender Equality, is helping to empower women and to prepare them to take the lead. Their ultimate goal is to develop women's political capacity to learn the rules, use the rules, and change the system. The impact is we would find
0: more women wanting to enter the political field and be not just supporters of the candidate, but be in the front running and be the candidate so that they would help set the policy
7: and make the changes in their communities for their sons and daughters and brothers and sisters who who may be coming up after them. Hilary Bernard was one of the women who benefited from the Train, Run, Win, and Lead initiative in 2012. She is a dentist who was eager to contribute to local politics to bring women's issues to the forefront. She won a seat in the Ministry of Local Government in 2013. She explained what she learned from her experience.
0: Coming through
7: the program and realizing,
4: You know, learning really what local government was supposed to be about
2: through this program
0: and giving you the affirmation that, yes, as women, we can do this. It doesn't matter if there are 90% of
2: men in the
7: field. We need to have women because half of the world is women. Ms. Bernard spoke about the challenges of dealing with men when proposing initiatives that are women-focused.
0: It's still a major challenge. Because you still have to deal with men. It's almost as if you have to trick them into seeing what you want to put on the table by spinning it in such a way that they realize this is really important for all of us. Because when we speak about women's issues, you can actually see the relaxation in the shoulders of the men. Like, here they go again.
7: Miss Bernard added that it is essential that men and women come together to reach the best results and the united nations
11: Father
12: help your o Amen.
3: ask you friends in closing tonight have you done this?
9: Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? There is no other way, there is no other message. For well, there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sins. Come to him in all your needs. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to him. You too will enter into that joy, sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For well, how will you escape if you neglect so oh great salvation? Or well, how will you escape if you neglect so oh great salvation?
13: Can I say
2: thanks
13: For the things you have done for me Things so undefeated
3: You gave your very life for me The voices
13: My life, that if it please.
12: Invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day. By the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of the you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart, and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved.
4: That's going to do it for yours truly until Friday. God bless you. And have a wonderful and blessed day.